This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. Today I'll be doing a review of Dune, the Denis Villeneuve adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic novel uh, that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. After Denis Villeneuve did uh, Blade Runner 2049, which is one of my favourite films of all time, big claim, but it's a film that affected me in such a profound way. I really loved what he did visually with that film, but also from a storytelling perspective. And he's proven himself as one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood at the moment. If you haven't seen films like Prisoners, uh, Arrival, uh, even his smaller budget film Enemy, which is fantastic. Sicario is brilliant too. He's such a fantastic filmmaker and very visually striking with what he does with the camera. And I was really looking forward to seeing how he would adapt uh, Frank Herbert's work. Now, with Dune, I'm not as familiar with the lore and the whole, you know, backstory or the book itself. I'm aware of certain things that are going on because I, I through pop culture and through just living, um, I've sort of taken on board some of the things that happen in Dune and I do know that it was a huge inspiration for uh, George Lucas when he created Star Wars and I sort of am coming at it from the perspective of not really knowing too much about the world but knowing enough that it sort of helped me immerse myself with what's going on. Um, I have seen the original film directed by David Leitch in 1984, uh, which is really quite bad. Uh, it has some visually interesting things going on, and I like some of the things that Kyle McLaughlin does with the character of Paul, but overall it's not fantastic. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, I'll be honest. I watched it last, uh, I suppose, the la start of last year with the hope that Doom was still coming out when it was supposed to. Uh, but I did find it, yeah, interesting to watch it in uh, under those conditions. And I'm pleased to say that this is a very entertaining film. Uh, it's a very visually striking film. So if you are going to watch it, please watch it on the big screen because it's the way that Villeneuve wants you to watch it and it's the way that it should be experienced. It's a very interesting film in terms of the way that it deals with a lot of the themes and how it establishes the world. It's not as exposition heavy as what I was expecting, especially after watching the uh, 1984 film where David Leitch, you know, puts such a, a dense novel into such a short runtime. Uh, here, this film focuses more heavily on just establishing everything. Uh, I did notice that the title of the film now says Dune Part 1, and I don't know if that was uh, something that was added after the announcement that Part 2 and 3 will be filming back-to-back -back with Villeneuve returning to direct. Not entirely sure, because, uh, uh, again, I, I guess we're only getting it here in Australia now on December 2nd, so quite a long time after its initial worldwide release in November. But uh, I am pleased that they um, are moving forward with the sequels because it would be a real shame for this film to end the way it does without going into 
what happens next because it does very much feel like a first chapter in a larger story, uh, which is a pro and a con, and I'll get into a lot of that when I go into more detail. I will be keeping this review uh, very surface level, though. I won't be going into too much plot. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything because if you're listening and very unfamiliar with, you know, the actual story itself, then I don't want to spoil that for you because it's quite a visceral experience seeing it and taking in what's going on and being able to watch everything on screen because it is very, very immersive and very uh, viscerally stunning, um, I guess is the way I'll put it. But that's my, I guess, intro to this one. So let's get stuck into it. So take it away, trailer. The outsiders ravage our land. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. So you're going tomorrow? Yes, I'm going tomorrow with the advanced team. I'd like you to take me with you. Are you trying to give me court-martial? Can I trust you with something? I've been having dreams about a girl falling in battle. Felt like a vision. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. To the future of House Atreides. You have to be ready. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. They're not human, they're brutal. What if I'm not dead? You'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. Come on! My son. So Dune, like I mentioned, was directed by Denis Villeneuve and stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, uh, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, John, uh, Josh Brolin, uh, Javier Bardem, um, and Zendaya. Uh, and I'm going to read the Warner Brothers uh, official synopsis because it goes into a bit more detail and that way I don't have to cover too much of that plotting. Uh, so a mythic and emotionally charged hero's journey, Dune, tells the story of Paul Atreides, 
a brilliant and gifted young man born into great des- uh, a great destiny beyond his understanding who must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential, uh, spice, only those who can conquer their fear will survive. In the far future of humanity, Duke Leto Atreides accepts stewardship of this dangerous desert planet, um, Arrakis, the only source of the most valuable substance in the universe, which I mentioned, is spice, a drug which extends human life and provides uh, accelerated levels of thought. Um, it's a hallucinogen. Uh, we see the effects of it on Paul during the film, um, but it's very interesting in the way that um, it's displayed on screen. Visually, it's striking and interesting. Uh, but that's the general premise. Essentially, um, after about the midway point of the film, we have like this attack on our the Atreides um, uh, tribe, I guess, or the, the house of Atreides um, by uh, the Baron, um, which is the Hark- uh, the race of the Harkonnen, um, with the main villain being Stellan Skarsgård's character, who is the Baron. Um, and yeah, it's essentially Paul trying to fulfill his destiny. Um, he keeps having these visions of, uh, this girl played by Zendaya, who is Chani, uh, who is one of the people of the desert. And he's trying to essentially, you know, meet up with these people and fulfill this destiny that he didn't know that he had until, um, Lady Jessica Artredis, who is his mother played by Rebecca Ferguson, sort of a you know, fulfills him on what his prophecy is and what needs to happen. Uh, and yeah, that's the general plot. It is very dense. There's a lot going on and there is a lot of setup. But the film does it in a way where it feels very natural. It doesn't feel very exposition heavy, which is what I was worried about, just with uh, how much law they had to establish. So, for instance, we have you know, this sequence at the start that explains what the spice is, who these people are, and I guess the long-running um, fight for, um, for for this place, essentially, um, um, Arrakis, and, like, trying to establish all of this myth um, and, and all of this lore and all this background. It does it very quickly, but it does it in a way where it feels very natural to the story. I never at all felt bombarded with exposition i felt that it was handled in a way where it was quite easy to understand i won't lie sort of loses me with a few of the political conversations that are going on and i'm sure if i read the book i would have that knowledge and that background um, which would definitely help me establish exactly what's you know happening but i appreciate that Villeneuve has enough confidence in his audience that he doesn't feel like he needs to go into this detail i mean this film is quite long it's two and a half hours long but the film never feels its runtime i think it's incredibly well paced there are some complaints online that it does sort of drag in the third act and after the the attack and the big action set piece the film definitely subverts that expectation i mean in a modern blockbuster, we expect a lot of that to happen, you know, I guess in the third act rather than the second act, but instead it's like the leeway point into the third act, which is really interesting. And like I said, it subverts that expectation. Um, I thought the cast were all really, really good here. Timothy Chalamet is like everyone's favorite actor at the moment. He's one of those guys that's sort of like a Tom Holland 
sort of burst onto the screen and he's made a really strong impression. Uh, I've liked a lot of his work. So he's in like Lady Boy, um, Lady Boy, <laughs> Lady Bird, Beautiful Boy. I was getting the two mixed up there. Uh, Little Women, Call Me By Your Name um, and uh, The King, uh, A Rainy Day in New York. Uh, a lot of these films I've seen and I've quite enjoyed him in these films. I think he's quite talented. I really liked him in... Um, a Rainy Day in New York, which is a film that's quite bad. It's one of Woody Allen's worst films in recent memory. Uh, but he was really good in it. And I, I'm a big fan of what he's able to do on screen. Like, I find him to be uh, a presence. And there's a lot of complexities with this character. And after doing a bit of research post-watching the film, I can see these complexities sort of be brought to the surface. And uh, it's very interesting with the nuances in his performance that he's able to display a lot of this conflict and a lot of what's to come. So it's very interesting how he's portrayed that on screen, but it's quite well executed in the way it is displayed. So I really appreciated that. I thought Rebecca Ferguson was fantastic in this film too. Now, she's been good for quite some time uh, since she burst onto the screen with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, she's been in some of my favorite films of recent with Dr. Sleep. She played the villain, Rose the Hat, and I thought she was really, really good in that film. Uh, and here she commands the screen. Like, she is doing a lot here, and I really enjoyed her presence on screen. She is concerned for her son, but she's also displaying this, you know, um, authority, I guess, as well, that with some of the scenes with her and uh, Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaac, who I thought was also really, really good here. Um, the levity is provided though with Jason Momoa's Duncan Idaho, um, which wasn't really prevalent in the 1984 film. And I'm not going to compare the two because they're completely different movies. Uh, but that film could have used someone like Jason Momoa cause he's really, really good here. Uh, he's quite funny, um, in a very subtle way. Like there's humor in this film, which might surprise those who were fans of Blade Runner 2049, but the way the humor is used is very sparse and it's used in a way where it feels very natural and they're jokes that land on the sense that they, they're not, you know, um, trying to be overly funny. It's, it's very interesting in the way that it's put together and a lot of his character nuance is quite entertaining as well. Uh, Josh Brolin I thought was a little shortchanged here. Um, his character, uh, Gurney Halleck, who I know is a very uh, popular character from the book, He's sort of a little shortchanged here, which is a bit disappointing. I thought that uh, for the time he is on screen, he is quite good. Uh, Dave Bautista plays Beast Rabin um, from the Harkonnens. Um, he's incredibly angry and fiery in this film, which I love to see. I love seeing Bautista on screen in general, but he's really quite, um, quite scary in this film. Like He feels very unpredictable, and I really liked seeing him here. Uh, I also really liked Javier Bardem as uh, Stigar. Um, or Stigar, I can't remember how they said it in the film. Um, he's really, really good here, though. I thought that Javier Bardem actually stole a few of the scenes he was in, like he really commanded the screen, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of his character. Uh, Zendaya is in it very briefly. She's in all the uh, sequences where uh, Paul is having his visions, uh, which is the same as the book, uh, which I hear. Um, but here he's, you know, seeing her in those visions and he's not really seeing her in person. We don't see her in person till the end, which is completely fine. Uh, Zendaya is a quite a popular actress at the moment as well. 
And I thought she was quite good for her brief screen appearance, and I'm sure she's going to have a lot more to do with the sequels. Uh, the music is really interesting. So Hans Zimmer's done the score, and I found it to be quite effective. It's really operatic and quite loud, but it's used appropriately. There's a couple of times, though, especially in the third act, where I thought it was a little unnecessary. I feel like silence or diegetic sounds during those sequences would have added to the tension. There's the great sequence we see in the trailer with the sandworm and Jessica and Paul are running away from the sandworm. And the way that it's all put together is really, really eerie, interesting and quite tense. Instead, though, we've got this loud operatic music that's sort of taking over the scene a little and I feel like if they had have taken that out of that sequence, it would have felt more appropriate. The fight sequence as well between Paul uh, and I can't remember the character's name, uh, unfortunately, but the two of them are fighting at the end of the film as part of like this ritualistic uh, like battle to the death, essentially, and he's being challenged. And there's this really loud music that's used. And again, I felt that silence and diegetic sounds would have worked a lot better here than having this loud, booming music. But I found that it was used effectively. I thought that it was well done throughout the rest of the film. I heard a few complaints that during the large-scale battle action sequence that closes out that second act was a little too much. But I felt it worked in comparison to the rest of the film as well i just thought it was really appropriately used in those sequences but i can understand the complaints and i understand that people don't like the music because it's very specific to a very specific audience but at the same time i found it to be really well pieced together and i thought it was used appropriately during the rest of the film and Villeneuve knows what he needs to do with the score cinematography was brilliant as well by uh greg uh frazier the cinematographer behind Rogue One, Vice, Zero Dark Thirty. He's done some um, producing of The Mandalorian as well. Uh, he's a really good uh, director of photography. He knows how to use the camera, creates some really visually beautiful shots, which I really like. Um, and I found that the way that the film was used, uh, the way it was used in the film in general, just creating those big sweeping epic shots, especially of the landscapes, because it is such a unique setting for a film. I found it to be really effective and, yeah, it was used really appropriately. I, I found as well that the special effects were brilliant. Now, we're in a stage in Hollywood in general and it's a stage across, you know, television, film, across all of these where special effects just look amazing regardless of what, you know, production they're in. They, they look really incredible and we're at a stage now where, we're sort of numb to seeing a lot of these visual effects. But I found that in this film, the visual effects are used so appropriately that you don't even really notice them, which I think is a bigger compliment than saying, you know, a big third act Marvel battle showcases all these amazing things that aren't possible. In this film, we have these amazing, beautiful visual effects and special effects that look incredible but they're used in a way where they feel realistic, so you don't even really notice them. Like, there's some brilliant sequences in this film where the special effects just look real. Like, they just they just blend with the rest of the world that's being created, and that's a huge compliment to the visual effects team here. The film itself just looks stunning, but blending the live action with the visual effects is just incredible, and 
that melding is so seamless that it's used incredibly appropriately. And when it is used, it's not distracting. So I think that's a huge testament to the team and how they've actually put it all together. If I did have some complaints with the film, though, it would be the lack of resolution in the third act. Now, I understand that this is a part one and it's intended as a trilogy, but my issue comes with the fact that if you watch any, you know, series of films, like uh, I'm going to compare it to The Lord of the Rings because I think that's the most appropriate comparison. With The Lord of the Rings films, each of those films feels like its own complete movie. Yes, there's still uh, plot threads that are leading themselves into the next film, but each film has its own resolution in that story. And I feel that in this film, we don't have that resolution. Instead, it just ends, which is okay. I mean, that's what happens, but... I would like to have seen a bit of a resolution, even if it was in the sense of we we have our characters, um, instead of cutting to black, we have our characters, you know, about to, we find Paul's going to learn the ways of the desert. We could have cut back to our villainous characters, maybe just as their next steps of what they're planning to do, or we could have even finished with, I don't know, uh, maybe a conversation between Zendaya's character, Charney and and Paul, maybe some dialogue there. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of the way that it needed to end, but it just it feels like it needed maybe another five minutes just to wrap things up in context of this specific story so you can watch it as a part of a larger story but also as its own complete film. It's pretty crazy to me to think that this film was greenlit and completed with the fact that it has all these dangling plot threads in, in the context if they didn't, you know, get, if this film didn't make money on HBO Max or make the money it has at the box office, we wouldn't be getting a sequel, which is pretty crazy to me to actually think about because what happens if this movie was a massive bomb, which it very well could have been because Blade Runner 2049 was brilliant and it made nothing at the box office, which was a real shame, but... Uh, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, what if this movie did flop? I mean, they weren't going to make the sequels because they were only greenlit, I want to say like two months before the film's release or maybe a month before the film's release. Like, I don't know if it was trying to G everyone up, you know, as to the anticipation, but I think everyone knew that the dense material of the book lended itself more to a trilogy than it did for just one single film. And like I said, it now says part one at the start of this film, and I don't know if that was something they added in post-production before the film was released internationally. I'm not entirely sure. But, yeah, very, very strange. Uh, I was very uh, much thinking about that at the end of the film. I was like, oh, what if they didn't actually make money on this? What what happens then? Like, is it is it finished? But, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a really solid film. It has a few flaws. Like I said, the score is used inappropriately at some moments. I thought Stellan Skarsgård, who I haven't talked about yet, was fantastic as the Baron. He's like this disgusting, um, almost supernatural sort of being. Like he's got, um, he floats around, and I, I'm not sure, I, I believe that's a carryover from the book because the 84 film had it as well, but it's sort of like um, he has on, on his back, he's got this thing that obviously allows him to float around. It's like a futuristic mobility sort of device that allows him to move because I don't I think he's too heavy to actually stand on his own uh, but he's quite a scary figure like you feel his anger and his wrath 
so you know that that's going to come into fruition, especially with future installments of, of what's going to happen. But yeah, I thought he was really menacing and his voice is quite appropriate for that type of character. So I enjoyed seeing Stellan Skarsgård in the film. I thought he was really good. I really enjoyed just the overall building of this world. I think that's the film's strongest elements. The cast definitely complement that as well because I thought the cast were all fantastic. I really enjoyed the way that the film um, displays a lot of these larger elements too. Like it's very much visual storytelling with very minimal exposition like i said but when the exposition is used it feels appropriate like it's used by at the very start to just establish the conflict and uh, establish what um arrakis is and what this land is and why it's important politically so it's really interesting and i think they did a really good job of bringing this story to life it just feels very appropriate and i'm glad that it came out now rather than like, you know, five or six years ago, because visually I feel like the, and where we're at with certain filmmakers, it feels like it's the appropriate time to tell this story. And visually, I think this is the best that this story is ever going to look, which is really, really cool. And it's quite epic in scale too. I I loved how big it felt, even though we're not having these big battles that we see in a Star Wars or we see in, uh, you know, the Marvel or Disney related products that are released. But overall, I thought it was handled really, really well. And I really liked the overall visual prowess and the style that was used. I thought it was really, really good. Um, I'm going to give Dune an eight out of 10. Now that could go up because I do want to see it again, especially in the cinemas, just because I need to take on board and process some of these other elements. And I think on repeat viewings, it's going to get better for me. And I feel once we have a part two and a part three, then that rating is going to change as well because it will feel like a complete piece in a, in a larger puzzle. But overall, I really did enjoy this film. I, I love, yeah, the way that it's presented. The cast are all fantastic. Uh, Denis Villeneuve proves himself once again as one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood. And I don't think that this material could be handled by anyone else. Visually, I find Villeneuve's direction similar to... Uh, Ridley Scott and that's not just the Blade Runner comparison Um, I watched The Last Duel recently as well uh, Ridley Scott's latest film and you just see these large shots and these somber moments and just the set dressing and design both directors have a very similar style they're very clean cut in terms of the way that they present their visuals I like that Ridley Scott's very minimalistic with what he uses in in frame And I find that Villeneuve takes a page out of that book too. Like a lot of the sets feel very bare bones, but in a way where it feels appropriate to the story. I like the use of technology and things in Villeneuve's films, which also carries over to Ridley Scott. So I see a bit of a comparison with both directors. But yeah, really, really good film, guys. And I would highly recommend going to see this on the biggest screen uh, possible. It was really, really good. A special shout out to my mate too, uh, Matt Hudson from Moving Picture Madness. He's... Such a great guy, and he's always promoting my podcast on on his show, which I really appreciate and love. So thank you, Maddie. And uh, I'd like to just tell everyone to go and listen to his podcast too. Um, he's got a few out there, Star Wars Sessions. I uh, love his Star Wars Sessions podcast as well. Um, but definitely go and check out some of his content. I'll leave a link down below. But, yeah, Maddie's always fantastic and always giving me such a big rap on his podcast. So I want to return the favor and tell you guys to go and check out Maddie's stuff too. 
Uh, make sure you also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at OzMovieGeek. Um, yeah, really appreciate your support, guys, and look forward to more content coming at you very shortly. I've got a few more reviews to come still before the end of the year. Um, I've been trying to get to the movies at least once a week, trying to tackle some of these new releases. So look forward to more content very shortly, guys. And until next time, peace out.